Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is the 27th of October, and this is episode ooh, 191, I want to say, from memory. Does that sound right? It sounds, sounds right to me. Right to me mate. All right, before we get into everything, just want to get, give a quick shout out. Happy birthday to the famous Hillary Clinton. Happy birthday to this future president tweet. I cannot believe that is still up, but today is the great day that she tweeted that out. Uh, extraordinary scene, so happy birthday to it. Uh, now, loaded show coming up. We've got a lot of election previews coming up. We're going to be talking about the Queensland election. We're going to be talking about the US election. Uh, for the Queensland election, we've got Andrew Cooper, the president of Liberty Works and the founder of CPAC Australia coming on, breaking down just the key issues coming into the election, uh, where everyone's standing at the moment, what people who love freedom can be looking at to get up or who people can be looking at to get up. Uh, and we're also going to be talking to IPA's director of communications, good friend of the show, Evan Mulholland, uh, about Victoria's new roadmap. Some outrageous stories out of Australia Post and and the ABC. So yeah, fun show. Pete, what are you looking forward to? Well, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the lockdown being over, obviously, because that's really exciting for everyone here in Victoria. But uh, mostly, a uh, sort of a low key, uh, a couple of cheap shots we take in the second half of the show. I'll call it that. That's um, not that's not what we usually do. Nah, We're it's not a cheap shot. It's a it's a fair bit below our usual level, to be fair. But. Um, and the other thing is about, I didn't realize that it was the birthday of Hillary Clinton's birthday tweet. Um, that means, the fact she hasn't taken it down, that means she still wants to be president. I, it's still up. So mm. on some level she's going, she, like, this This is evergreen. This is only, this This never goes away. This is never not true. So mm. 2024 could be interesting. Maybe even 2020, writing candidate. Maybe, maybe she will win this election. That's true. Uh, should we get into it? All right, let's do it. Uh, so you pointed out Victoria's lockdown is over. Still a bit sceptical on that. I mean, a whole lot of people might say, hang on, these restrictions are not going far enough. But uh, yeah, talk to the Stuart Pete. What was yesterday's announcements slash this well, morning's announcements? After 110 days and then one more day of cautious pause, uh, a number of restrictions were left were opened up. Uh, residents allowed to leave home for any reason. Up to ten people from different households can gather outdoors. Retail are open, so pubs and stuffs and things like that. There's a, there's millions of them, but I won't go through them all. Outdoor community sport for under 18 resumes. Non-contact sport for adults. That's a big one for me. Cricket season back on. Um, yeah, so it was it was the big announcement. I think there's a couple of things uh, to say. Obviously, it's great. Because, you know, for me personally, over the last couple of weeks, being able to see family and friends who lived more than 5Ks away after months has been awesome. Uh, and also just the, the people out there with small businesses who are now allowed to open them, albeit on a smaller scale, is, a, is an awesome thing. Um, I guess there's a part of me that's still concerned about the contact tracing thing. Uh, we talk about that, that with Evan a bit. What do you think about that? Are you, are you yeah, still pretty emotional that? day yesterday. I mean, like just the last six months, I've been cut off from, like I'm not saying it's just me, but you know, being cut off from so many things that you take meaning and joy from for six months and then the idea that I'm going to start getting them back. I mean, I love going to pubs. I love going to restaurants. I love going to cafes. I love yep. going to friends' homes. Uh, just the idea that that might be back on, hopefully forever, most likely till like May, but... Uh, yeah, emotional day and it's awesome. But, you know, we talked to Dom Talamanidis on the show a couple of weeks ago now who runs a uh, pretty successful restaurant, Ipsos, down in Victoria's southeast, I want to say, Pete. Uh, southwest. southwest. Lord. Southwest. Yeah, so 
uh, he pointed out that a lot of people, a lot of restaurants and cafes and bars won't be able to make money off the idea of 20 people indoors and 50 people outdoors. So there's still a lot of people that are going like, great, I can finally see my customers again. I can finally start uh, hopefully making some money. But, you know, the pressure's still going to be on to keep these restrictions being eased. I mean, we've had back-to-back days of zero cases. There's less than 100 active cases in Victoria. Uh, and you just want to get retail and hospitality back on. So, I mean, twenty. if you can't run a profit to 20 people, then you need to be able to do a bit more. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, I should mention that from a Sunday the 8th of November, there are further restrictions being lifted. For example, the 25-kilometre travel limit ends. No, you're right, James. The concern for me is a little bit... Um, the, the concept of getting on the beers really conflicts is really conflicting for me you know because i didn't um, don't think it is i don't think it's <laughs> conflicting at all to you obviously i endorse the message and it's a really good sort of thing to say but it's sort of it's it's symbolic of this um you know as i sort of mentioned a little bit with evan you know a week is a long time in politics and a month is an eternity and a, it would be a shame if victorians forgotten the cause of all this and the, and the reason this is happening and and just because everyone's happy to be out um that they suddenly think the government's awesome and has done a great job on this. So it would be, it's a concern that, you know, people might start to reward the government for what's happened. But uh, yeah, no, mostly just happy to be out, mate. Let's get on. Yeah, on that, did you see the results in that Ipsos poll that Channel 9 and The Age have been like promoting for a week? I have not. Ah, so I I think it was like 50% of people think that hotel quarantine was to blame for the second wave when it uh, like 100% was. So the fact that 50% of people still think, oh, you know, maybe it was just individual rule breakers is kind of concerning. And then also uh, they asked people what they thought of Michael O'Brien, which would be a good way of indicating what people are thinking about, like, are they going to punish the government in the next election? Uh, And it was 46% of people had no opinion of him. 46 at a time yeah. where for nine months, people have been... So, sorry, six months, people have been solely tuned into state politics. 46% of Victorians have no opinion of Michael Bryan, Michael O'Brien, the state opposition leader. And, you know, people do tell me when I get on this, like, oh, it's so hard for state opposition leaders these days. Journalists won't report what you want to say. You don't have access to the same amount of media. Uh, you know, you have access to a camera and a Facebook page. Like, it's, it's not that hard. And when Trump wins the 2016 election off posting to social media, I don't know why four years later no one's learned that lesson. Yeah, I'm sort, of, um, I'm sort of with you on that. Normally, I think it's hard for opposition leaders, but during this time uh, at the state level, when the state level has been the, the complete focus of, of politics in Australia, um, you know, even more than the Prime Minister, like the Premier's in the news much more than the Prime Minister. So... Uh, I am with you on that one. All right, so we get on to the American election, James. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say. Uh, yep. Have you been noticing Jenny McCarkos quickly becoming the greatest Twitter account in the world? So Jenny <laughs> McCarkos, the uh, former health minister here in Victoria who was uh, famously thrown under a bus by Daniel Andrews at the Hotel Quarantine Inquiry, basically mm-hmm. said it was all her fault. She uh, she went dark. She still hasn't talked to Daniel, uh, Daniel Andrews since. And she tweeted out on the morning, because, yeah, people might know... Uh, we were supposed to have the big announcement on Sunday. There were fears that there was going to be a further outbreak in the northern suburbs because a kid was told it was safe for him to go to school and it turned out later that he had COVID. Sorry, there was a big fear. Did we have a third wave already on our hands? Thank goodness we didn't. But on Sunday, we were supposed to have the announcement of all the restrictions being eased or whatever they were planning. And instead, we got a just hold on for 48 hours while we run some more tests, which was... A pause. 
yeah, just a cautionary pause. They said, Makarkos tweeted out, Victoria has met the under five threshold, which some thought was unachievable. Uh, the set reopening is gradual and safe, to, uh, safe so de- any delay is unnecessary. It's paralysis in decision-making. So, you know, that was awesome. Uh, and then... Uh, there could be a new outbreak next week. We can't delay opening up forever. So I just like the idea that Jen Mikarkos, uh sacked is just living her best life, absolutely throwing under the bus anyone that moves. I mean, Adam Sumurek had it before. Now it's Jenny Mikarkos's turn. Keep doing it. Well, I know that you've been a big fan of Jenny's work since she departed the government. And look, she's returning to form. We were originally praised her many months ago now for living her best life on the dance floor in Bali. And now she's returning to someone that we can admire and love. All right. The US <laughs> I don't election know about, I'm not, I'm not an admirer and love just yet. <laughs> still, yeah, yeah. She's You're still somewhat irresponsible. <laughs> no, she won't want, debacle. She was the health I just minister. like the idea. I, I just like the popcorn that comes out with any time I see Jennifer Carcos has recently tweeted on Twitter. Yeah. No, no, fair enough. All right. So over the weekend, the US election debate, presidential debate took place. The second one, it was meant to be the third originally, but it was the second one. Now, James, we said that... Joe Biden would have an absolute calamity at some point during the debate. We were wrong. Both sides were more competent than we thought uh, in the third debate. What do you reckon? <laughs> Sorry, um, you read that like very, very focused newsreader. Very focused. That was, <laughs> that was important from you. Yeah, I thought uh, both sides shockingly competent and civil. It was just, I was watching it, I was watching it and it was too eerie. It was just like, wait, when's, when's it going to happen? What, Trump's either going to call him a moron, Biden's going to melt down, the moderator's going to get involved, but nothing really happens. So I don't know who wins from a boring debate. I mean, the idea is that the debates don't matter in the long run anyway. Uh, but yeah, shockingly subdued. And I'm suspicious. I, I genuinely think it was a mistake not having that second one for Trump because that would have just expanded the amount of time in which Biden could have said something calamitous. Uh, I still think, based on that, you would say, you know, if, you, if you're wanting to pick the president that has more energy and more vitality, clearly that's Trump based on that debate. Yeah. And I'm sort of in the Sheridan school, you know, like he sort of says the debate, we don't really know if it matters or not. Maybe it does matter a little bit. I'll tell you what, uh, it'll, it'll matter if um, Biden loses Pennsylvania because when he started saying like it'd end oil, that's going to be pretty big. That's a pretty big vote swinger you'd imagine. That's exactly right. I was just about to raise the, the oil thing. Um, so uh, he, there, was, there was sort of a bit of a back and forth about fracking. Now he said, I never said I would oppose fracking. Um, I do rule out banning fracking. Trump then lost his mind and said, Hang on, mate. You you definitely have said you were going to ban fracking. Uh, Biden said, "Put show the tape. Put it on your website." Trump did put it on his website, and he had he produced footage of Biden saying he was going to ban fracking like six times. Um, and he said, "I would transition for the oil industry." Yes, as you just said, uh, because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Trump said, "Will you remember that Texas? Will you remember that Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Ohio?" Um, doing the thing that <laughs> every people- single swing state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, if anything is significant out of the debate, that would be potentially a significant moment. All right, so this is our last episode before the US election. We're going to like maybe, we're gonna switch the schedule around a bit next week just because we know that a lot of our listeners listen to the show, you know, maybe not on Tuesday, but on the days afterwards. So we just thought rather than have a four, like, you know, an hour-long show going, what's going to happen when our listener knows exactly what did happen? It'd probably be better if we just had a debate after, uh, recap. So we're going to have on some guests. We're going to have some reactions. It's going to be good, but it will come out later in the week. But since this is the last episode before the election... 
We've got to do predictions and we've got mm. to make ourselves look like a fool because who the hell knows what's going to happen next Tuesday. So everything we say is about to be wrong, but what do we reckon is going to happen? Well, I should, we should just say for the punters, we're going to try and get Trump and Biden on the show next week. So if that doesn't happen, you'll know we're failed. So obviously, who will win? Well, this is a really interesting point that's been talked about a lot, James, and I get that the polls are pointing towards Biden. And I find this argument that, oh, the Trump voters are shy or whatever, or they're too busy to answer polls, I find that unconvincing. What I find more convincing is the idea that for four years, poll companies have thought we need to get this right this time because it's a huge economic thing for them to get the polls right because if they get it wrong it's a um, bit of a kpi if you're a polling company and you keep getting things wrong it's yeah. a bad long-term financial strategy it is because these polling companies actually make all their money out of corporate polls so they need to prove that they're accurate anyway but be that as it may james i reckon trump's going to win by 200 on 270 which is the lowest you can sneak in on uh i googled that this morning uh because I just think that in the end, he probably loves America a little bit more than the Democrats. That's what it's going to come down to. <laughs> That's what, it, well, I believe in Who wanted it more? Who wanted it more? No, no, no. I don't know who wanted it more, but who loves America more? Like the, the, the Americans are the most patriotic people in the world. And the idea that they would vote for this machine that ultimately doesn't really like America, I just can't buy. So, so at 270, you're saying we're off to the Supreme Court? Uh, oh, well, that's a good question. Um, no, no, I think... I think like, I, at 270, we were off to the Supreme Court. <laughs> I didn't factor that in. I didn't factor <laughs> that in. To my, it's 270, but none of the individual places that there's any argument over. Oh, oh look, yeah, I mean, that's... that's. Do you think we'll end up this going on for months? Uh, I, I definitely reckon some, like whoever loses, there will be a Supreme Court challenge unless it's like absolutely over within the first couple of hours, uh, which might be good for our podcast timing but we'll see what happens might be yeah. uh, either a show on Wednesday either a show on Thursday uh, I ran my own personal calculations I've got it at, <laughs> I've got a nation it at Trump, holds its breath a nation does hold its breath I've got it at Trump 301 Biden 236 I reckon Trump absolutely cleans up in the Midwest like a couple of the blue state like the traditional blue wall of blue collar jobs I reckon the oil stuff really has a big play uh, and also you know and you kind of see this in Australia as well. Like if you're in an area where there's not a whole lot of coronavirus, the restrictions are so much more uh, personal to you than the actual virus itself. So when Biden is saying like, we do need to lock down the economy, we are learning to die with this virus. There'd be a lot of places in the Midwest that don't exactly have a terrible problem with coronavirus, but they do have a problem with the fact like, hey, I can't go to work. My cousin can't go to work. He's back on drugs. Like I reckon that would be a huge vote swinging issue in those areas. So mm. that's why 301, 236. And my biggest surprise, Trump wins Michigan. Like that is like as Democrat as you can get, but they've been under stage four basically since March uh, under Democratic leadership. I reckon Trump wins Michigan. Biggest call it's, I have. It's interesting your point about the, the referendum on COVID because, you know, in some ways Trump did not handle the start of COVID very well at all. And you could argue that he's sort of, I guess, what would, what would you say, indecision on it and, and just lots of different sort of points of view on it led to it being worse than it was. But I think people, a lot of people, will like his message of, you know, you can't live in fear, we've got to reopen. And a lot of people ultimately vote for him on that. So if it is a referendum on his, um, his handling of COVID, he might actually, he might actually get up. Uh, uh, so your biggest surprise? Well, my biggest surprise, I just realised I've, I've left blank. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that my that, biggest That's surprise not my is, biggest surprise. <laughs> my biggest surprise is if you see the list of predictions we sent each other just before the show. Anyway, uh, biggest surprise was, oh, I guess, 270. That's a big surprise, isn't it? Like exactly 270. Yeah, that would be a big surprise. And off That'd to the surprising. Supreme Court. 
Yeah, but but no Supreme Court. That's the further surprise. Oh, two seventy, but they go no, nah, fair call, fair call. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's my surprise. Uh, we tried our best, didn't happen on the day. No need to drag it out. We'll call yeah, it. you can't win them all, James. So yeah, that would be huge. Uh, anything else you got from the U.S. election? Uh, just who are we going to talk about? Who we want to win? Um. I don't know. 2016, I was scared of a Trump win. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. And now I'm like terrified of a Trump loss. Like not Biden himself, but like the people that would win if Biden gets in. I think the retribution that would come culturally as well just would, it, it does terrify me a fair bit. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I was sort of, I probably, yeah, slightly in favor of Trump. Like I think some of the things he said over the last, well, just since he's been president, it hasn't been great, but you know, a lot of the policies achieved are policies that we would absolutely love our Prime Minister to do here in terms of tax and energy deregulation. And uh, we're going to talk in a second actually about some of the stuff he's done in the Middle East, which so I won't bother going through that now. But um, yeah, I think if, and and the, and the it's, as you say, like it's, a lot of it is like in all these elections, it's, you might not love the person who you're voting for, but the other people are worse. And the, the idea that, you know, we're going to completely decarbonize and, if we're going to increase taxes and you know like that those policies that the democrat machine because it's not really joe biden um are going to bring in if if they're successful will impoverish millions of people and i think that uh that's not a good thing and also i think critical race theory in the last year has really just gone haywire it's spilled out of the university and into real life um and you know i don't really think that biden's going to stop that i think trump has the much more gumption to stop that. Antifa so, yeah, is an I, idea, Peter. What's, what's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Antifa is an Antifa idea. Antifa is an idea. All right, so, uh, I'd love, let's come back. But quick mention for Joe Jorgensen. She'd be great, but unfortunately. That would be awesome. Hey, like Joe Jorgensen. I'm, I'm in for that. Or Kanye. Uh, but I'll get into that later. But, uh, all right, back to Australia. Queensland election also coming up. Last episode before the Queensland election. We're going to go deep dive in it with Andrew Cooper later in the show, as I said. Uh, but yeah, we'll just share our thoughts. Huge election for the idea of hard border closures. Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk has obviously made that such a uh, election issue for herself. Why should elect me have kept Queensland safe with these hard borders? And uh, I have noticed that there's like going to be an announcement about the border with New South Wales before the election. Sorry, mm. who knows what that's going to be. Um, but yeah, if, if Anastasia Palaszczuk absolutely runs away with this, every other premier is going to go, actually, these borders... These are good ideas. These are vote winners. Maybe I could just slightly go away from this whole national cabinet idea of open borders from Christmas because people are loving this. So that's it interesting. Is, it is interesting. This, is kind of, this will be the first you know, election since COVID. So it'll be interesting to see what gets rewarded and what doesn't get rewarded. We, of course, should mention the curfew that was posed by opposition leader Deb Frecklington uh, during last week about you how... say posed or opposed? Posed. Good, good. No <laughs> No uh, uh, So that would so in Cairns and Townsville there would be a curfew for children under age fourteen and a ten pm curfew for fifteen to seventeen year olds. Uh, obviously, not a good idea. You know, on so many levels, it just feels like it's going to bring so many more people in. What's the word? In contact with the in, uh, criminal justice system unnecessarily, and I just feel like it was a bit of a grab, uh, vote grab. Yeah, I don't really get the idea of pursuing election policies from Daniel Andrews, especially if you're the Liberal Party, but, you know, maybe her polling is different from mine. Uh, speaking of the curfew, can I just call out Amnesty International has finally got off their high horse and, uh, sorry, finally got out of the bunker and criticised a curfew out there saying it was against, uh, wait, what was it quote? It was potentially breaches international law. Victoria was under curfew for two months. Where the hell were you? 
that is actually so enraging there, there was there was heaps of uh outrage about this from our so-called human rights community and they've you know with a few exceptions barely you know got off the couch yeah. Well, as you to... remember, it, it, it's like we're in a war, Pete. As Julian Burnside told us, it's like we're in a war. We just got to make do with some things. And we have to pay for these people. Like they're not even they're not even like an NGO. Like they get heaps of government funding. Just yeah, to... outrageous. Uh, get... Yeah. All right. Um, sorry. Yeah. Like I said, deep dive with Andrew Cooper coming up later in the show. And Epi, you wanted to talk about the Israel peace treaty. Just quickly, so we had the third peace treaty since August signed by Israel, this time with Sudan. They've also had peace deals with the UAE and Bahrain. Now, these are really significant because Israel in its whole history has signed two peace deals, but in like the last two or three months, it's signed three. And basically, this doesn't get much press because it's Trump. Like he's, you know, for all his faults, is actually able to sort of secure these deals in the Middle East. And they've legitimately game-changing deals. Uh, UAE and Bahrain in particular are not just like cold peace deals. They're full social, economic and cultural normalisation. And it's a really good thing. And and Trump, you know, we were all really worried about his... The biggest thing we were worried about was how he would be on foreign relations. You know, we were like, what's going to happen with North Korea? What's going to happen with China and all these places? But actually in the Middle East, he's probably been the most successful US president in decades. And, you know, remember Obama got this Nobel Peace Prize for achieving basically nothing in the Middle East except for signing a dodgy agreement with Iran. But Trump has done... No, he won it because he wasn't George Bush. Let's let's not forget the he number wasn't, one reason. He wasn't George Bush, but Trump has, has done heaps more. So we've got these agreements, defeat of Islamic State. There's heaps of them there. Um, that Sorry, uh, like random tangent here. So... Uh, Obama won the Nobel Peace Prize for basically not being George Bush. If Biden wins, how many <laughs> international awards is he going to get for not being Trump? He'll yeah, get well, the Nobel Prize for mathematics. They'll just be like, look, <laughs> we'll, we'll find out a way. Jacinda Ardern is definitely in the conversation because she's not Trump. Yeah. Like, that, it's, that's part of it. Um, oh, well, yeah, I mean, Big Joe's in the, in the game. If he, he definitely is in the game if he, if he manages to pull it off. Um, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to quickly raise that. It's, uh, it's a significant thing. It's not the kind of stuff we normally talk about on this podcast, but it is a significant thing. All right, sweet. Let's go to Heroes and Villains to start off with Heroes, as we always do, the Grunt the Pig Freedom Snort for those who have stood up for freedom and justice around the world. Peter, take us away. Mate, Nick Cave, right? He has been great yet again. He wrote on his uh, website, The Red Hand Files, which you should check it out. It's pretty good, actually. It's full of, you know, loss and art and feelings and stuff like that if that's if that's your bag uh and he said the pandemic is playing havoc with our lives but so is the questionable response to the lockdown the letters i received through red the red hand files a testament to the devastating and largely ignored effect of the lockdowns not just on the economy but on the very soul of the world from reading the data and i say this with great caution one can't help but wonder if the collateral damage from the lockdowns this closeting of our lives will end up outweighing the benefits he wrote a really good thing about wokeness a few months ago about it, how it was had all the terrible things about religion, but none of the beauty. And now he's yeah, something. cancel culture as well. Back in the files, it it is quickly becoming one of the must-read websites. Uh, very well, good. Here this week. All right, so my one look. Twenty twenty, obviously, extremely tough year. Not just the virus, also the, all the things we've lost. Uh, international travel's been off. Sports been off. People have lost jobs. It's been 
one of those years we just like, can we please get something to look forward to? And then when we look forward to it, can it actually deliver? And Joe Rogan had Kanye West on the show after months of internet rumors about it. We finally got it and it was awesome. So look, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan. Uh, I would listen to pretty much everything except the, the carnival diet stuff, which gets a bit sciencey for me, but like, <laughs> this is one of the better ones. Kanye West, like, I shockingly, like, well thought out and calm and measured. And by the end of it, you're just like, this guy's really, really good. Like, I'm a, I'm a fan of his music, but I've always been like, oh, you know, he's off with the fairies. And to some extent, he is. But I don't know, really great interview, definitely worth hearing out and definitely more interesting than 99.999% of people on the planet. So I'm just glad that we finally got something that we looked forward to and it delivered on its promise. Fantastic stuff. A rare bright spot in 2020. Yeah. All right. It reminds me, I was listening, this is like three minute segment where I'm just like, this was actually made for Peter Gregory where Kanye West is just destroying the idea that like, oh, you just destroyed the black vote as if black people can only vote Democrat because uh, Democrats told them to. Like, he just absolutely goes in on that. And I thought Pete would love this. So remind me after the show. Thank you. I really, yeah, you're right. I despise that idea. And in fact, we're going to, my villain is is on that topic. So let's get into it. Oh, let's go straight. Well, take us, you go straight to yours. All right, roll the tape, Muskie. As Extinction Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. So that's the fake uh, Extinction Rebellion nudie run. Fake nudie run, Extinction Rebellion, whatever it's called. Villain of the week. My villain of the week is Chelsea Handler X. Girlfriend of 50 Cent. 50 Cent said he didn't want to go from 50 Cent to 20 Cent. Get it? Uh, and so he was going to vote Trump because Biden's taxes were too yeah, high. Yeah, that wasn't a commentary on the relationship with Chelsea Handler. <laughs> Just the way he yeah, structured yeah, that didn't make it seem talking... like it was a commentary on their relationship. Chelsea Handler's <laughs> lawyers was talking about tax. He was talking about tax. <laughs> uh, anyway, she's a famous court comedian and at 50's ex-missus. She said, I had to remind him that he was a black person. Uh-oh. So he can't vote Donald Trump and that he shouldn't be influencing the entire swathe of people who may listen to him because he's worried about his own personal checkbook. Chelsea, how dare you tell him how he should vote because of his race? How dare you? He's you know, not allowed to worry about his own personal finances. People get cancelled for stuff one millionth as racist as that. And not that I want to see anyone cancelled, but the fact that you can get away. That's, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's as racist a thing as you can say. Chelsea Handler, let's, let's leave it at that. Oh, but I should mention, actually, uh, so Chelsea's my villain, first sort of villain, uh, but Fiddy sort of dogged it and retweeted, F Donald Trump, I never liked him, you absolute big girls blouse. You've given in to your ex-missus. Um, you can, you're, I'm not going to quite say you're the villain as well, but, you know, don't let... I think you might have given in to uh, record company sales, but can I just, like, yeah. uh, fully quantify what Chelsea Handler did of just the things that you don't really want to do. So not only did she like call her ex out of the blue, always a risky move. She sent, <laughs> then second told him how to vote. Another risky move. Just don't tell people how to vote. Yeah. And then the third risky move was to bring up their race as a reason why they should vote. Like those three things happen simultaneously. <laughs> like how, how devoid from reality do you have to be to do all three of those things in the one call? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't sort of factor in the, the calling your ex component of that, but that is true, you know, a risky, risky move. So, yeah, Chelsea, get in the bin. You're my villain. Yeah, just a few thoughts. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard from Chelsea for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, my one. So we talked about this on the show last week where New York Post breaks this story about what's on Hunter Biden's laptop and what it means for Joe Biden's, uh, well, sorry, the Biden family's 
I, I got to be careful with this one because I don't want to get cancelled. But Hunter Biden's <laughs> business activities with uh, people from overseas and what Joe might not have known or might have known. Anyway, whatever you think, it's a huge story and it's got massive implications for the election. And Twitter famously stops people retweeting, stop people sharing it on the day They uh, and we're locking accounts. And they said, oh, we'll back down, we'll back down. The New York Post's Twitter account is still locked. They have not tweeted since October 15. This is tech censorship on another level. Now, again, I don't think that the solution is for the government to get involved because then you are giving the keys potentially to Joe Biden to manage how people can share stories about Hunter Biden within a week. Uh, so that's not the solution. But, you know, you talk about uh, Kevin Rudd's famous petition to get a royal inquiry into the murder control of media. How is it about this for control of media? Twitter has literally shut down a paper reporting on a massive story just because they can. Yeah. And they, and they um, you know, they just absolutely want their guy to win. They don't want Trump to win again. Do you know what? This probably sounds like a good point. So you just mentioned you didn't want the government to get involved. There is a, a register. I think it's called a, by American Greatness, which is a, a publication over there in the United States, which is a list of everything that's been banned from Twitter or something like that. Everything that's been blacklisted by social media. So if you are wondering cool. if something's gone, check it out. Uh, and the last thing I want to bring up is with this Hunter... Sorry, last thing I want to bring up with this Hunter Biden story uh, is this outrageous... This is like a co-villain of the week. So this outrageous article from the Washington Post talking about how people should report the Hunter Biden story. And I just want to give away this... This this is the biggest giveaway in the world. Uh, let me read out this one paragraph once I find it. All right, so take a... Uh, here's a key sentence. We must treat the Hunter Biden leaks as if they are foreign interference... Uh, foreign intelligence operation, even if they probably aren't. Even if they probably aren't this is just i want to put my head in my sand because in the sand i'm comfortable <laughs> your reality makes me uncomfortable therefore the sand is my friend yeah i mean i don't think we discussed you having a co-villain but i but i do endorse that statement james that uh that's unbelievable from the washington post even if it's not we're just going to say it is yeah all right uh so that is it for the start of the show let us go to the interviews with andrew cooper and Evan. Okay, we now welcome on to the show Andrew Cooper, the co-founder of and host of CPAC Australia and the president of Liberty Works. I want to talk about CPAC Australia in a second, but first off, Queensland elections coming up. This is the last show we'll have out before the Queensland elections, so we just want to get a bit of a preview going. So, Andrew, where is a Queensland election right now? Who is going to win? Uh, well, uh, in my uh uh, opinion, which doesn't count for much in recent years. Uh, I think Labor will win this. Their messaging's been much simpler. Um, the LNP, uh, in my opinion, have uh, been all over the shop with their messaging. And uh, and I think what this, what this election will demonstrate is that the whole state has some sort of version of COVID brain um, where, uh, where, the, uh, where the brain isn't working properly and uh, because we're all scared, and we've all got some version of Stockholm syndrome because it's just crazy up here. No one are asked. No one's asking the right questions. No one's uh, interested in anything other than who's going to keep us safe from the virus. That's interesting, Andrew. So obviously, a big part of this election is going to be about borders. Now, uh, Palaszczuk was under fire for her stance on borders a bit early on when Sarah Case uh, was un unable to attend her father's funeral. Has that changed a bit? Has the support for the borders, um, or the hard border, I should say? Um, reignited a little bit in the last couple of months where do the queenslanders sit on that look i think i think uh i think most people are a little bit frustrated but i think they're 
sort of accepting of the situation. Now, what the Labor Party have done here is that they've uh, they've said that the, their stance on borders is uh, entirely dependent on the advice of the Chief Medical Officer, Janet Young. Guess what the LNP's stance on borders is? Entirely dependent on the Chief Medical Officer, Janet Young. So in reality, the LNP and the Labor Party have the same damn policy. Now, the LNP are quietly backgrounding everyone saying, look, we're pro-open, we're but that's their official policy. And how you can run into an election and not differentiate yourself from the uh, existing party is beyond beggar's belief as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because I saw a lot of Labor attack ads at the early stage of the campaign really hitting Deb Frecklington on the idea that she wanted to open up the Queensland's borders before Victoria's second wave and this whole idea of like, oh, imagine what you would have led into the, uh, led into the state. So do you reckon she's just still running scared from that? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, obviously they've uh, probably workshopped the different campaign options that they've had and having a, uh, a pro-border stance that uh, may be just in front of the chief medical officer's uh, opinion uh, may open them up for attack ads and whatnot about, you know, wanting to kill Queenslanders or some, something as ridiculous as that. But the, the problem is, is that they can't differentiate themselves now. You can't sort of say that you're pro-tourism uh, jobs or... Uh, opening up the state when your policies are basically the same. And uh, I think they've really uh, missed something here. And if I look around what's happening in the world just recently, I think there really is a yearning for freedom going on. You saw what happened in New Zealand with the uh, ACT Party. Even though uh, even though the Labor got in and had a sweeping majority there, the ACT Party run by David Seymour got 10 seats up out of nowhere. So, uh, And just last night in uh, Lithuania, of all places, uh, the centre-left party there has been turfed out and been replaced by a centre-right coalition with two classical liberal libertarian parties that have come from nowhere as well. So to me, I think uh, across the world, there really is some indications that, you know what, people are pretty well done with authoritarian governments. And uh, But what I see here in Australia, and particularly in Queensland, is that there's no attempt to take advantage of that. So that's really interesting, Andrew. So your your read on this, because a lot of people I know in what might sort of loosely be called as the freedom movement or whatever, or liberty lovers, I often call them, are depressed by things that have happened in 2010 and, and, and oh, sorry, 2020, I should say, uh, and, and think that it actually the, the, the movement's in trouble. But you're saying it's a positive and you're thinking you're optimistic. Oh, I think this is a, uh, this is a libertarian's wet dream, isn't it? Um, having the state come down with the uh, hammer and sickle on top of everyone. And um, uh, I mean, if we can't mount an argument right now about uh, just how ridiculous uh, big government is, then there's got to be something wrong with us and we deserve everything we get. I mean, look, there'll be a, there were a period of sorting out, OK? People are scared. I mean, irrationally so, in my opinion. That's the COVID brain uh, comment. But uh, there will be a reckoning for all this. And I uh, fear for any government at the moment because uh, they've all piled in on top of each other. At the moment, with the current budget uh, debt in Queensland, every taxpayer is responsible for $28,000 each. Uh, that's current, it's gotta go up. Federally, every every employee, taxpaying employee in the country is responsible for $75,000 in federal government debt. So Queenslanders are responsible for over 100K in debt already and it's gonna go up. Um, this is not a sustainable circumstance. It's just it's just a crazy situation. Yeah, like the Queensland election might not be the um, best indicator of where people lie, but I wonder if the US one will be because I saw definitely in that last debate, Trump was really saying like, we've got to learn to live with this. I think the days of locking down are over and Biden was saying, no, 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 we're learning to die with this. We do need to keep people safe. So maybe 
however that breaks out, we'll really get the feel of uh, the regular person's view of it. Um, I want to talk about the Liberal Party now. So Deb Frecklington, one of the big bo- uh, policy positions of the last week that's getting a lot of attention is this idea of a, a curfew for youths in yeah. a few Queensland cities. Um, so, look, I don't really know how much of a problem youth crime is in these Queensland cities. Is it that is it this that big a deal in Queensland and is a curfew at all justified? Look, I'm in the southeast. Uh, I was born and bred in central Queensland, but uh, live in the southeast. And um, so it's difficult. It really is that, you know, the north uh, does suffer from, uh, you know, being so far away um, and they don't get the attention they deserve. But um, my reading of the situation is that it is an issue. Uh, there's certainly a crime issue amongst, uh, you know, kids in the, in, in some of the country towns and some of the coastal towns. I, I Personally, I'm not sure this is the best way to deal with it, um, but uh, certainly it's an issue, and I guess the LNP are trying to tap into that. Um, so, speaking of the, the north of Queensland, uh, now the Cata Australia Party will push for a referendum if they get in to split the north of Queensland from the rest of Queensland, yep. it's, and apparently it's got a lot of strong support. What what chance do you reckon uh, that's got of actually happening, say, in the next decade or, or whatever like that? Because oh. That'd be an extraordinary event. Yeah, it'd be extraordinary, wouldn't it? Uh, as far look, as far as I'm concerned, the more you can devolve government down, the better, because uh, you know we're just overgoverned, and I think the closer they get to the people, the better it could be. So I think you know, WA should wags it, uh, North Queensland, and uh, you know we should we should draw the line at Gladstone, um, and uh, we should create another state in southeast Queensland with a little bit of northern New South Wales, and I think that'd be a brilliant start, and we can keep going from there. What do you think? Oh, well, we, we're actually on uh, Matt Maloney's, uh, what's it called, James? Podcast. Podca- yeah. <laughs> Thanks, James. I know it was a podcast. I just can't remember what it was called. Uh, anyway, we were talking about the north of Australia. Uh, I'll yep. get you that name once this interview's over, listeners. Um, yep. and, and basically, the whole point of the podcast is to create this new state up there. And, and us, us at the IPA have put out uh, IPA review articles about how there should be a whole number of states in in Australia, like more than there currently are. So, um, yeah, absolutely. If government close to the people, I, it, it would be great. It's just that the question is, um, the question is of how possible that is. Like, is it really likely to happen? Or I doubt. I doubt it's. I doubt we'll see it in. Uh, well, certainly my lifetime. You, you guys might. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We got Brexit, so uh, yeah. I'll, I'll never say never to anything anymore. And, and Donald Trump le- being leader. Uh, let's stay on those minor parties. So Pete mentioned Bob Catter's Australia, uh, Bob Catter's party. Uh, yeah. There's also the idea that the Greens might dethrone Jackie Trad from her seat. One Nation's also polling quite well in some places. Uh, what, are, what effect uh, are minor parties going to have on the outcome of this? And then, like, side question, for lovers of liberty out there, who should we be looking at as uh, people to support on Saturday? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, so the, the minor parties will definitely get some traction in the uh, in the regions. The, the polls are all over the place, though. At one stage, it looks like One Nation's... Uh, 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 voters collapsed a little bit, and that's been picked up by the LNP. Um, uh, certainly, Catter's party's uh, definitely going to be uh, well. There's a, if, I think if the LNP form government, will be with Catter's preferences. They'll be the kingmakers. Um, uh, for me, the party that uh, you should be voting for is the party that's not quite registered in Queensland yet, and that's the Liberal Democrats, because they are possibly the only real Liberals left in this country at the moment. Uh, but I think for me, uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's a contest between a very big government-loving Labor Party and a slightly less big government-loving LNP. 
and so I'd probably fall on the LNP side. Well, uh, speaking of loving big government, the AFL just hosted its grand final up in Queensland, obviously yeah. an issue close to James and I's hearts. Will that have any political sway at all, the fact that that big event was up in Queensland? Uh, I actually went to that event and it was fun and it was great. But yeah, everyone, everyone was talking about the hypocrisy of the social distancing laws. Um, it's just it's just madness. It's um, They hand out sanitizer and masks and no one was wearing any of that sort of stuff. We're all crammed in on top of each other. We're all cheering, high-fiving, backslapping. And, uh, uh, and it, was, it was a great it was a great fun event. Uh, but uh, then to sort of leave and be advised that you need to be socially distancing just seems a little bit absurd. Um, so will it have any political sway? Look, I doubt it. Um, uh, I think, um, I think, uh, I think the, if anything, I think the messaging that comes out of that ground was in contrast to what the LNP, uh, Labor Party wanted. Um, so I don't know whether it'll have too much impact at all. Uh, this one's kind of out of left field, this last question. Saw a political ad this morning of, uh, it was by the Liberal Party and it's like Stephen Miles might be about to eat a fly and they, they tended to go really in on the fact that he was about to eat a fly. Now, is it okay for me to not want the Liberal Party to win solely because whoever directed that ad, uh, I don't want them to feel a sense of victory? Uh, is it okay? Well, that's up to you, I guess. But uh, I haven't actually seen that ad. I've heard about it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what they're doing there. I mean, I mean, maybe you produce those ads when you don't really have too many policies to go to the market with. Right, okay. So now we've talked about the history of, or not the history, but the the future of liberty over the next few years. Now, one place where they do talk a lot about liberty and freedom is obviously CPAC. Now, CPAC was enormously successful last year, a bit different this year in the age of COVID. What should people be looking forward to and where can they get tickets if tickets are still, in fact, available? Uh, We're sold out. Um, So unfortunately, no more tickets. Uh, We do have a standby. We do have capacity take about another 100 tickets if restrictions are left lifted a little bit so there are some standby tickets if people want to have a crack at those um but uh at the moment we're sold out um look you know unfortunately we don't get our international visitors uh, coming this year but um we'll be hearing from some great speakers from the ipa actually funnily enough and uh there'll be an interesting um alan jones is going to do a uh, panel uh with uh, three senators erica betts uh, anton anich and uh, jim mullen uh, which will be pretty interesting, I think. They'll be talking about China and US relations and what's going on in the world there. Uh, and uh, then you'll get a whole his- a whole, a whole conga line of uh, rabber rousers, uh, media types. Uh, you know, Latham will be there stirring things up. Ross Cameron will be talking about uh, Marcus Aurelius. I'm pretty certain of that. And uh, there'll be a lot of fun. And, it'll be, it'll, and it's US election um, uh, day, so uh, we should be getting close to seeing some sort of result by by the time things get a little bit crazy later in the evening. So um, unfortunately, you Victorians won't be allowed to come, but uh, I'm sure the rest of us will make up for it. The only other thing is that I'm from Queensland, as you know. I've got to self-isolate to come back here. It's just insane. Help me out. <laughs> We've been self-isolating for four months. You get used to it eventually. Anyway, Actually, uh, Andrew self- Cooper... Uh, it's not sorry? self-isolating. I've got to go to hotel quarantine. Yeah, that's oh, mad. okay. Well, yeah. at least you're not doing that in Victoria. That's for sure. Stay right, away from the bouncers. Host of CPAC Australia, President of Libby Works. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, very fascinating week of politics coming up. It is. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate.
Okay, we now welcome back onto the show one of the very good friends of the Young IPA podcast and one of the rising stars of the IPA with you as well, Director of Communications, Seven Ball Holland. Welcome back, dude. Thanks for having me. All right, so we literally just heard about the roadmap. The press conference ended probably about 45 to 50 seconds ago. So uh, we'll go first impressions first. Uh, one, you know, I, I'm just I'm just happy. Like, this has been one of the toughest stretch. Like, this has been the worst six-month stretch of my life. It's glad that we're finally coming out on this. I still think lockdown 3.0 is going to hit in, like, March or something because I've got absolutely no faith in the Victorian contact tracing team. But... For what it's worth right now, this is this rocks. Uh, should have come a lot sooner. That is my thoughts. Evan, what do you reckon? Yeah, similar thoughts. I think this should have come a lot sooner. Uh, big pat on the back for Victorians for getting through, uh, really getting through this and really um, sticking it out uh, over this long period of time. Um, Victorians have had, you know, some of the most draconian rules in the world uh, that went way too far. Um, so... Uh, I, I disagree with a lot of people uh, applauding the, the Premier's leadership in any sort of way. Like the government's incompetence in regards to hotel quarantine and, and contact tracing led to this outbreak, literally killed over 800 people in the process, destroyed hundreds of thousands of biz- businesses, hundreds of thousands of jobs, people's livelihood, people's mental health. Um, he censored political protest. Uh, police dished out a record amount of fines and we're meant to think this guy deserves a pat on the back. Victorians deserve a pat on the back, not Daniel Andrews. If I can just jump in there, like people interstate might not know how close we actually came to a third wave just this last week because another outbreak started, which is why the decision got delayed in uh, a northern suburb when a kid was told by a DHHS officer it was safe for him to go to school and it turned out that he was positive. So think about how close we came and eight months into a pandemic, these are still the mistakes that are being made by people. Uh, again, like this isn't a big win for Daniel Andrews, certainly a big win for Victoria, but wow, we. Sorry, Pete, interrupted your question. Oh, that's all right. I was just going to sort of add to that comment. You know, people, a week is a really long time in politics, just like it is in footy. Um, and, you know, like people kind of forget how they felt last week, how they're really angry about um, you know, the government's performance. This week, they're really happy because they can get back on the beers. So it's interesting to see how this will play for him politically. Evan, what do you, how do you think it'll play polit- politically? It might be a bit early to sort of make that call, but uh, will this end up being looked back on as, as a success for him, as a failure for him, or something that forever divides us here in Victoria? Well, the, the polling shows uh, that people are divided on this, uh, and that goes with our polling, that matches up with Roy Morgan polling and the age polling as well. Uh, so play, people are completely split down the middle. But as I said, I don't think the, the people should give Daniel Andrews any credit. It's like, you know, starting the fire and then, and then you know, getting credit for, for being part of the firefighting team that's had to put it all out. I mean, you, you, sorry, you don't get credit for that. Um, and in the process, he's just destroyed hundreds of thousands of livelihoods and businesses. And you all got to think what, what's for. Yes, it's really good that, that people are... Uh, are able to go out, are able to see friends and, and all sorts of things. Um, but the amount of devastation he's caused along the way is just terrible. Yeah, I, I'm an R with like what's a read into how polling keeps finding so many people supportive of it. And one thing I do come back to a fair bit is just uh, you just want to believe that it's all like we're all on the, on the right path. This is all going to be worth in the long run. Because when I when I talk to people and just say, look, there's no scientific value for the curfew. The police don't even want it. Um, there's no 
the the five kilometer restrictions don't actually seem to be doing anything to stop the spread of the virus. People just don't want to hear it because if I have to make this sacrifice, like they think if I have to make this sacrifice, I just want it to be worth something. So therefore I am going to support it just because the alternative is too depressing, which I'm, I'm sympathetic to, to be honest, because like it's, it's been tough enough without believing in all of these people. Yeah, I, I, I can't even imagine. Um, you know, I've got lots of friends and family, obviously, that, are, that have been through the worst. My dog is back in Victoria in lockdown, so uh, he's definitely enjoyed being able to go out to parks and whatnot. But, um, look, it, it's just devastating for everyone. And I, I think, you know, Victorians will look back on this as a really, really, really hard year, uh, no matter what the circumstances. And um, then we'll look, you know, to other states where everyone's reasonably free, Everyone, every other contact tracing system has been able to go okay or every other hotel quarantine system has been able to go okay and realise the main fault of this. The main fault of this lies at the feet of the government and we still need to get to the bottom of how this all went down and hopefully we get some answers with the hotel quarantine inquiry. Evan, are you confident in Victoria's contact tracing capabilities? We had the bizarre situation yesterday where we were... We put the reopening on off for a day because uh, it appeared there was like genuine terror inside the government that it had, it had got out again. How confident are you that we're going to be able to maintain this for the foreseeable future? Not very confident. Um, uh, yeah, as you said, uh, you know they're, they're having to delay announcements because they had to delay an announcement because they were scared that it was going to uh, break out even further. I mean. You're either confident in your contact tracing system or you're not. And we've seen from questioning today that um, they've not even got a, a coordinated QR code strategy for venues opening up. Um, and Daniel Andrews, in response to that, said, well, well, everywhere else, like New South Wales, they're still using pen and paper. I can tell you that's not true. Everywhere you go, you, ha you have to sign in with a QR code. Uh, you do it instantly on your phone. The, the, your phone remembers all your details, and that goes straight into the... New South Wales health system. They have none of that in Victoria yet. So a lot of venues are either going to be using their own QR code system or pen and paper. Um, that's the kind of uh, planning that's gone into this reopening. So you can only foresee uh, what's going to happen when, you, when you're still relying on pen and paper. Evan, I've warned you over email before, and this will be my final warning to you. Can you please stop referring to how many times you've been able to go out while living in New South Wales the last couple of months? But I want to talk to you Did about another story. Go to story. the grand final, the, a pub to the grand final. Sorry, Evan, mate. This is, Evan, this is, this is tough. <laughs> right? no, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. Uh, Australia <laughs> Post had uh, like just an unreal sense of timing from Australia Post this week. It's come out amid all these job losses, amid all this economic hardship that uh, other Australians are feeling, uh, someone with a taxpayer-funded salary had a pretty expensive watch. So do you want to break us down what happened with this story? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a, a pandemic and we're talking a lot about at the IPA about how it's the elites uh, versus mainstream Australians, those elites that have been shielded uh, from the virus. Their pay uh, packets have kept going up. Uh, they've uh, and the mainstream Australians who've suffered under lockdown measures under economic hardship. Uh, and this is just a perfect example of that. You've got the Australia Post CEO dishing out $12,000 Cartier watches uh, to her executives uh, for the apparently good job that they've done running at uh, reduced capacity throughout the pandemic. Uh, well done, Australia Post. Um, uh, so, 
it is an absolute scandal and it, it doesn't pass the pub test for people that can go to the pub. Uh, so I think it, I think it actually brings into new light whether uh, Australia Post viability going forward and how clearly inappropriate it is and laughable it is that in 2020 we still have a state-owned and run postal service. And I think it highlights the need for the government to privatise Australia Post where you can have a scenario where instead of all this um, falling on the taxpayer, uh, the board and the executive can be account- accountable to shareholders rather than taxpayers. Yeah, exactly right. That of course, that's of course, is the long-term solution to this effort is to privatise Australia Post. Now, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said he was appalled and shocked by the revelations. Does that sort of, to you, feel a little bit like Australia Post is an easy target? We can give them a kicking while they're down. Would you have? Would you? You know, for a lot of us here in Victoria, we feel like the federal coalition, maybe not in the last few weeks, but before the last few weeks, wasn't critical enough of the Andrews government. Uh, do you feel like? that we were missing out a little bit, that, that you know, he goes after Australia Post because it's an easy target, but he could have done more to speak And the banks and the it. Royal Inquiry. And the banks and the Royal Inquiry he was very vocal on that as well. Yep, yep, exactly right. But not so much the government here in Victoria. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. One other thing I'd contrast is that people can actually, you know, a watch is a, are a material thing. And when people think of a $12,000 watch, they're like, you know, that's outrageous. It's taxpayer money. That's ridiculous. But we have to look further than that. And often, you know, a, a Cartier watch will be the one that gets picked up or a $1,200 uh, ride, a helicopter ride from Melbourne to Geelong. That's what will make the news. But what won't actually make the news is the amount of bonuses all these executives are getting, you know, multi-million dollar bonuses at these government-run uh, services like, you know, NBN, like Snowy Hydro, like Australia Post. And you have to wonder the viability going forward of a lot of these, you know, state-owned enterprises and the fact that we have them in the first place. Yeah, I guess Pete's more asking, like, the idea that Scott Morrison is so vocal on the Australia Post, so vocal on banks, and then when hotel quarantine inquiries gripping Victoria, we didn't hear anything. So where was it? That's basically where I want to know. Yeah, you're right. I think he could have been a lot more uh, forthcoming with criticism of Victoria, uh, been a bit of a Johnny-come-lately in that regards. Uh, but it's good to see, you know, the Treasurer's been out pretty much the whole time, uh, demanding uh, a road out, demanding action on the lockdowns. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, if you're going to stick it hard that hard to Australia Post, you should um, give it hard to everyone else, including Victoria and including other state-owned enterprises that are giving out much more in bonuses than a a measly $12,000 watch. Now, I've spoken all the way through this about Australians not being all in this all all together, not in this all together. Uh, Is there a better example than the ABC not uh, still accepting, not accepting a 2% pay freeze during this pandemic? Is that your favourite example of this or what's your favourite? Yeah, that that is just that is just one of many examples. Pete, the, the government kindly asked all uh, independent APS agencies, which includes the ABC, to uh, uh, defer a uh, pay rise by six months, a two percent pay rise, just by six months. Uh, the ABC voted about eighty percent in favour of taking the pay rise, uh, and talk about not all in this together. That means. The ABC consider themselves more worthy uh, than uh, Department of Social Services staff, 
Department of Health staff, Centrelink staff, who have all been on the front line in regards to this pandemic. The ABC see themselves as above that. Uh, I think that's that's pretty outrageous and, and is up there uh, with a perfect example of them not all being in this together. But, like, actually rank them. Cardio watches ABC. Which one's one, which one's two? Uh, I think more outrageous is the ABC. The ABC has been the most vocal uh, in terms of uh, the, their narrative of, you know, being pro-lockdown. They're happy for everyone else to lose their job, everyone else to have to take an over 20% pay cut. When a bit, when it, but when it comes to showing that shared sacrifice, they actually deem themselves as more significant, more worthy than everyone else. They're saying they're with together. Uh, they actually took the money, they took the cash, rather than give that sense of empathy, give that shared sacrifice to the Australian people. All right, uh, last one I've got from this one. So the article I read in the ABC about this had an immortal paragraph here. So Christine Holgate took the reins of Australia Post back in 2017, being paid $2.56 million, which is a small change compared to what her predecessor, Ahmed Fahoz, earned in the top job when Malcolm Turnbull was giving him a $5.6 million salary. And when that came out, he was forced to leave. $5.6 million to run CEO uh, of Australia Post. And then the predecessor gets to hand out Cartier watches. Is CEO of Australia Post just the best job in Australia? Well, it's clear it does not pass the pub test at all. Uh, Stop saying pub test. Six. You are banned yeah. from it. I, I don't know how many times. It does not pass like, I don't know any how I can test at all. Any there test at all. It does not pass any test at all. And uh, again, it brings into question why we need a big uh, state-owned postal service in 2020. The parcels end of the business is the profitable end of the, end of the business. Now, that already runs in a commercial environment. It competes against all a whole bunch of other competitors, and it does pretty well. Um, the government should go ahead and sell Australia Post. Um, a lot of people would pay good money for the parcels end of the business. And the letters business, you could do what you did with the sale of Telstra and set some service obligations to whoever buys it to be able to send letters out to people that might not be uh, commercial enough to do so. So I think this highlights uh, that however long we have these taxpayer-funded state-owned corporations, these scandals are going to continue happening and they're all the time they're outside of community expectations. I remember one of the first things that I learnt at the IPA many years ago, James Patterson explained to me how he thought that Australia Post should be privatised and it really blew my mind and really changed everything for me. So it would be great to see that project through to its completion. Now, back strange, that, to- strange that we hadn't got to you before the IPA. Was that sorry? <laughs> Strange that we didn't get to you on that before you joined the IPA. Well, yeah, I think it was a, it was a snap decision by Roskam, my my employment at the IPA, but we probably shouldn't go into that on air. Anyway, Regrets back to the ABC. Uh, news boss Gavin Morris told staff, unbelievably told staff they were too focused on the interests of inner city left-wing elites uh, and talked about um, the editorial coverage should perhaps be more aligned with the people uh, who pay their wages. Is there any chance of that ever happening at all? I would have thought definitely not. Well, I got to agree 100% with Gavin Morris on this. Uh, you know, it's a well-known uh, fact that, you know, most of the ABC staff are within cycling distance of Ultimo or South Bank. Uh, that means they're not getting out uh, amongst mainstream Australians. They're not getting out and seeing big issues in the community. Of course, they're seen as, you know, inner city elite issues when they're going after 
all sorts of issues from climate change and they're pro-lockdown because they're not affected. But also even worse, they don't know anyone that's been affected by this pandemic. They don't know anyone that might have been considering voting for Scott Morrison, which is why they so they completely missed uh, the 2019 election. Uh, but, you know, it goes to, goes to show that, you know, they, these people aren't living in the real world and they're rejecting any opportunity to to get out there. They're rejected, you know, Gavin Morrison and others in ABC have rejected moving from Ultimoa South Bank to, say, Parramatta or Dandenong, where they might be actually amongst uh, people that think a different way uh, because they all want to stay in their comfy studios in Ultimoa and South Bank within cycling distance. Did Gavin Morris do this over the phone or was it an email? Uh, I believe it was a, a, a news conference meeting. Uh, but I, I think Gavin Morris has formed uh, some FOIs that, that I uncovered when I did the big FOI on the climate crisis advisory group showed that when someone replied all to that person's email starting this group uh, and said, you know, stop, uh, st- stop sending these emails. It has nothing to do with our work. Gavin Morris... Morris replied, FFS, thank you, three exclamation marks. So this is the second time Gavin Morris has, has shown a chink in the armour of the ABC and actually spoken some common sense. Yeah, fantastic. Because I was going to say, like, uh, the story gets leaked out to the Sydney Morning Herald that this all happened. And all right, so if it's in this, like, news conference meeting, how many seconds lapsed between ABC staff being told, stop focusing on any green city lefty issues and someone in the room going, the world must know about what conditions we are being put under by senior staff. This has to come out. Like, I want to think, like, the guy just finished the word uh, lefties and it was already in a Sydney Morning Herald person's inbox. Exactly, exactly. But this always happens. With that climate crisis advisory group, for example, um, Ida Buttrose told ABC Radio and told The Australian that 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 group was something that's not happening. Within a week, they'd briefed to The Guardian that, you know, over 70 people had joined the group and it was still having regular meetings and they were going to be focused hard on, on, on climate change activism. Um, so this is not the first time it's happening. It won't be the last. Um, and these people are so collective of their of their staff collective. And it is a staff collective. The only way you're going to be able to break the back of that staff collective is to privatise the ABC. It is completely unworkable. It is completely un, 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 uh, just not uh, connected with mainstream Australia. So I think in order for it to be, you know, if the ABC was a private organisation, it's more than welcome to engage in this kind of activism. But while it's on taxpayer dime, it is not. All right, Director of Communications at the IPA, Ed Mulholland, thank you so much for coming. Thanks, fellas. Okay, thank you to Andrew Cooper and Evan Mulholland. Let's fly through some stories that have made us laugh this week. And I've got one here uh, from the files of saying the quiet part out loud, Joe Biden giving one of his uh, famous... Uh, I, don't, I don't even know where this is taken from, and it's a cheap joke, but it's still good. Saul, so please roll the tape. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. You got, you got to keep that part silent. You got to, that's, that's the thought. It's not the words. Look, I think that's a bit shape, but I don't think that's beneath us. We, we were waiting for this 
the whole we've been waiting for this the whole campaign and it's finally it's finally occurred the big stuff up now he's got to worry because there's still a week to go that he doesn't do this like another five times because that could be. I was thinking in the debate like every time Joe Biden paused or just kind of got lost in the middle of a sentence like how many Joe Biden aides are just near the TV and you could just hear their heart go oh no oh no <laughs> oh like, it, like we're gonna get like one of those um, heart monitors attached to the Biden aides through a speech of just like you know the spiking levels and then back down spiking levels and back down. Yeah, and they, there's, there was those rumours that he had a, a headpiece where he could, you know, they were just feeding him lines. So, you know, that's a that's another thing to That one never made sense to me. Surely you want less confusion. Yeah. I now didn't... he's got another thing to think about. <laughs> he's got Trump, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah. Trump's over him, moderator's over him. He's thinking, yeah. how do I answer this question? Then you've got another voice in the ear. That's not how you want to do it. He's got Tristan from head office. Anyway, on this theme, once again, a bit cheap. Uh, Muskie, roll the tape. That's Kamala Harris, obviously, that happened during the week, checking with, a, uh, with an aide what city she's in before addressing the crowd. Now, do you know what? I actually don't blame her. It's just better to check, right? Now, she, if she just goes, you know, g'day Milwaukee when we were in Cleveland, that's the real disaster. So I'm not even saying this is much of a negative for her. I think it's good that she checked. You just got to do the rock star thing of writing it on the back of your guitar. Like she should do every campaign trip with a guitar around her. And just like, yeah. you know, just angle it slightly up. It's like, all right, yeah, I'm in Cleveland. Cool. Do you know what? That's off The Simpsons, isn't it? I uh, I know it in The Simpsons. I think everyone's kind of done it. Surely that's like, I'm not kidding. Like that is surely a rock star move. This is just have where you're at somewhere on the stage, just in case you don't forget. I thought of that Simpsons scene this morning. And I thought, I bet James will bring it up, <laughs> which he sort of did. All right, James, Billy McFarlane. Uh, yeah, all right, so this one from the uh, funny headline factory. Uh, so Billy McFarlane, famous fire festival organiser slash swindler, uh, is in prison for wire fraud, and here's the headline. I'll just read it out. Fire festivals, Billy McFarlane placed in solitary confinement following podcast launch. Now, Pete, this is just wanton discrimination against the podcast industry. This is how they're coming for the people like us, and we need to stand up. First, they spoke... what. In the famous words of, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on the name, but in the famous words that people know, first I came for Billy McFarland and I did nothing because I was not a hustler that scammed thousands of cashed up millionaires out of a festival. Uh, And then eventually they'll come for me. Well, look, we all know Billy McFarland's no angel. No one's trying to claim that he is. No one's trying to claim that, you know, he's a great guy that's done great stuff. But if, if we don't stand up for Billy, as you say, will be next and the fact that billy's getting 23 hours solitary confinement for a, for a podcast i won't stand for and as a as a fellow podcaster and i don't think you know if people like joe rogan want to continue with their podcasts they should also be standing up for billy mcfarlane so i'll hope yeah. be hoping to hear something from joe in the next few i want to hear days. from ja rule all right surely like once you've gone through something like that together ja rule's gonna have a few words to say i i might be watching the documentary again tonight <laughs> like it's still I don't know. Tiger King is kind of crappy by the end. I, I, just pound for pound, the Firefest documentary is number one all the time for me. Well, that guy who was trying to get the water. I mean, when are we getting him on the podcast? Just want some water. Just want some water. Google, if you don't know what I'm talking talk about, about. Talk about a team player. Yeah. yeah. You want that guy in the dugout, that's for sure. I don't know if this is, uh, this is suitable for our podcast. All right, James. Now, this is a low-key bloody outrage. From the weekend. Now, we haven't talked about the football at all yet, James. So, James's team, the Richmond Tigers, 
sealed themselves in football greatness, winning their third premiership in four years on the weekend. James, what'd you, what'd you, oh, you... Pete, you broke up there. Could you repeat that? <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Worth a shot. How, how did you, how did you uh, experience the game? Uh, by myself in my home, Pete, as per oh. Daniel Andrews' instructions. So that, <laughs> that is where right. I watched the game. That is how I celebrated. And then I, uh, you know... Uh, I, I don't know. I had this one yesterday. Compare the three, right? 2017, I'm at the game, go to a 60-person house party, go nuts. 2019, at the game, exact same thing. 2020, I flicked it over to the Sopranos after a bit of replay. <laughs> the Sopranos? Yeah, it's a good show. Finished it. Oh, well, I think that from a, yeah, probably from a celebration perspective, it wasn't good, but third premiership in fourth years puts the Tigers right Can't up complain. there with the, with the great teams of all what time. Come back, what a team. Now, oh, this, oh, did you, oh, yeah, you were outraged. Sorry, I was going to talk about something else, but let's but talk about your outrage. The, but uh, uh, a body that didn't put themselves in, in the, the stratosphere was the Queensland Health Advice over the weekend in regards to the footy. And this is a low-key bloody outrage because we handed, you know, our Victorian cultural institution to the beautiful people of Queensland to look after for a year. And they mostly did a great job, it must be said, but the Queensland Health Advice going into the game was not good. How do you, so they wanted people to stay 1.5 metres apart so they don't get COVID. And they said, how do you visualize 1.5 meters? Today, we're using around three AFL balls. Uh, first of all, what's an AFL ball? And secondly, AFL balls, footballs, as what they're known as, is, are not 50 centimeters long. So that's a bit of a low-key bloody outrage. A lot of Victorian fans were unhappy with the Queensland health advice on social media. I think it's sort of more... Um, it's a more sort of a bit of a worry. A lot of this health advice is meant to be nuanced, scientific, data-driven advice and they've clearly got it wrong by about half a metre. So, James, did you have a view on that? Is there a single ball that's used in professional sports in the world that is half a metre? Oh, like, what, what were they getting it confused with? Maybe the circumference or something? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. A cricket? No, a cricket bat's a bit longer than that. Yeah, I don't know, mate. But that's know, not I a did... ball either. Like, I... I yeah. I'm, I'm just... You would, you would notice the only one I can think of is like the version of beach volleyball where it's this giant inflatable ball and it's kind of a bit more fun. But like, even that is not a sport, it's just a really good way to spend an afternoon. This is these are the people that we must follow and completely transform our lives for, James, so that we can protect ourselves from COVID. So, low key bloody outrage. By the way, as you were ranting there, just got the notification, Amy Coney Barrett is being nominated for the Supreme Court successfully, which is wild because I thought Imran Max Kennedy called her um, someone that just colonised black people by adopting them. So I don't know what mm. the Senate were doing, doing electing someone like that, but uh, strange. She's done well for a horrendous racial, racist coloniser. Um, all right, well... Oh, last one. Wait, staying on the grand final. Now, I know the DMAs, I, I would call them your number one favourite... Active band. Probably not yeah. of all time, but active. Now, Correct. they they copped some absolute slacking and slacking over the weekend for a pretty dreary grand final performance. Now, mm. I'm a football tragic, so I was watching the Fox footy pregame and getting my stats up to date, so I missed all of it. Uh, I, I, I don't love the idea of bringing people into grand final celebrations with the cover of Do You Believe in Life After Love? Uh, but, Pete, you're the biggest DMAs fan in the world. Defend them. Well, as I don't want to defend them, James, because it was a terrible performance. And, and you, you are 100% correct that they're my favourite band that are still active at the moment. They have lost the base. And they were, were crap. Like, they, they did the Sure cover, and then they did, like, this sort of, uh, sort of sad song from their new album, which is a pretty good song, but it's not the song you want to hear before the grand final. You want a rocky sort of, you know, it's a, you, you're 
tapping in your inner bogan. I don't know what the you? NRL equivalent is, but it's up there Kazali and like just t- take from that what you want. Like if you've yeah. got a song that's anywhere near up there Kazali, sing it. But that's yeah. what people are after. And they did that. They only had two songs and they were both sort of low key and sad and it was raining and I was like, this is going to be great. My band that I really love, you know, heaps of people are going to see him. They're going to sort of get into the mainstream of Australia, but they missed the opportunity. Um, do so they have any good like boppy songs for a grand final? Like should they have played yeah. something? Yeah. I reckon Lay Down would have been good, you know, from their first album. It's a, it's a real sort of rock and roll song. Uh, they got a couple of tracks on their second album, which aren't that famous actually, which probably wouldn't work. But I would have gone with Lay Down and just a few of their hits, you know. Yeah. But um, uh, Peter so Vlandes people... would never have let it happen. What's that, sorry? Peter Vlandes, the NRL guy. He would never have he... let that happen. He would nah. have asked to see a set list. He would have said, no, 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 no. People were tweeting, you just need to get your pub rock band that plays covers on. And I'm like, that would probably work. Just get the best cover band in Brisbane to play like four Bogan songs and you'd go off your head. It'd be great. Anyway. Nah, just get Wolfmother to go full set. I mean, Joker and the Thief was good, surely. Yeah, yeah, Wolfmother was and good. And the midtime show, I don't know who they were. Like, guys that did Geronimo. I didn't even know they were Australian. Like, I, I, you know, I'm adding myself here. Most of this music, most of the people I listen to stopped making music about 20 years ago. So I'm adding myself as someone that's not really up to date. But whoever the midtime acts were, were pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the, I actually had people tweeting at me going, you said this was going to be good and they've, they've dogged it. So DMAs, I had to wear some of the cost of your performance. <laughs> that's the deepest cut of all. Mm. Uh, all right, that is it for the show this week. Thank you to uh, Andrew Cooper and Evan Mulholland. Uh, really good interviews. If you like the show, if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, make sure you're leaving us a review. We're also on any podcast platform that you can think of. So if you do have friends and family that would enjoy the show, uh, and you know they want to like they only listen to podcasts on YouTube. We're there. If they listen to podcasts on Spotify, we're there. So they can tell them about the show, get them to listen. Uh, and if you like this show, the IPA's got a whole bunch of podcasts out there. We've got the Looking Forward podcast that comes out every single week. We've got the IPA with you, which also comes out every single week. Uh, and then stuff like Five Favorite Books, where Bella Debrera talks to a few celebrities about what their favorite books are. Um, viral banter where you can get an idea of what's going on with IPA campus coordinators and what the issues that matter to young people are right now and uh, then go back in the vault Australia's future John Roskam and Andrew uh, sorry John Roskam and Tony Abbott talking about the how to protect Australia's way of life as we're coming out of COVID which is uh, now that Victoria's back on seems a bit lot more um, prescient than just before so yeah go listen to that see you guys next week see you guys thanks all. <laughs>